Hello, my name is Roger Flores. I'm one of the elders at Christ Community Church. And I hope you have had a blessed summer so far this, this year. It's been a blessing hearing from God's Word and to be able for us to go through the Psalms together. Uh, it's been a blessing for me, and I hope that you've had a great, uh, great time also. Today we're going to be doing uh, Psalm 101. You know, lots of things have changed since, uh, since last spring and, and uh, this summer for all of us. Uh, this is the year of we certainly will uh, we'll never forget. But the question is, uh, how will we remember this year? Will we think about this year as a year in which we try to um, be proactive in trying to uh, further God's kingdom? Or are we being reactive and responding to the things that are happening to us? Uh, God doesn't want us to be reactive. He wants us to be pure proactive. We're not to, to be trying to just keep our head above the water this year. This has been a great year in God's eyes, a great spring, a great summer in God's eyes. And we need to always think about things in the largest perspective and that our job, our responsibility as believers and as Christians is to always to, to further the kingdom of God. That's what God calls us to do. And we need to seize the opportunity this summer to, to push forward God's kingdom, hoping for the best, hoping that His kingdom will be furthered and that God's kingdom will rule and reign the hearts of man. We're looking for God's kingdom to come someday in the future, but until then, what can we do to further God's kingdom upon this, this world? And Psalm 101 is all about furthering the kingdom of God upon this, this world. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 101. David wrote this psalm as a vow and a commitment to God to try to establish his kingdom to be as close as possible to the kingdom of God, which he knew would, would come someday. He wrote the psalm to try to vow to God to try to establish his new established kingdom to be as close as possible in line with God's kingdom. Um, we know David wrote the psalm. We don't know exactly when he wrote the psalm. Some think that David wrote the psalm right after the death of Saul. Others think that uh, David wrote the psalm when he began to rule over Israel and when the, 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 Ark of, the Ark of the Covenant was brought to the city of David. But it was right, definitely right after Saul was removed from king and David was chosen by God to establish his kingdom and to create a new kingdom that would be as close as possible to his kingdom. And David was concerned about how he established that kingdom and what government he would establish. He was also concerned about his own personal life, making sure his own life honored the Lord. The Psalm 101 is a vow that, God, that David has to God, committing himself to establish this new kingdom to, to reign over the people in a godly manner. But this is a great psalm that we can look at. Go ahead and look, go ahead and look at it if you would. It's very applicable for us today of how we consider our government is, is responding in light of the viruses and government restrictions and the needs for laws versus uh, showing grace and mercy toward other people. David had to wrestle with those issues when he established his kingdom. When should he show grace? When should he pass? When should he pass judgment? And how would he make sure that those around him also had the same uh, same desire? But God is God is certainly a God of grace and mercy, but is also a a God of justice. And like David, we 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 always need to look at our personal lives and commit ourselves to living uh, Christian lives of of integrity. But let's look at David's vow here and how he had a commitment to establishing God's kingdom. Psalm 101. I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, 
I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall not depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haunty look and an arrogant heart will I admire. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, and they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not, shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. So David had to think about his new kingdom that he, that he knew he was going to rule and reign over, over the, the, the nation of Israel after the reign of, of King Saul before him. But what would his priorities be? How would he establish his kingdom? How would he live his life before God? And how would he make sure those who served with him and under him also did the same thing? This is the psalm that we can ask ourselves as we lead within our homes, as we lead within our church. How do we establish the rules for our church or our homes for those around us? How do, how do we show mercy and justice? How do we have that proper, proper balance? But Psalm 101 is a great psalm and where David exalts our Lord. He proclaims that God is, has a majesty and complete power over all things. He says, I will sing of the loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. David makes his commitment to God. He will praise him and he'll give him the glory for all things because he says that God is a God who is loving kind and who is, which means to have mercy or, or, and, and because also because God is God who, who is justice. Uh, we know that before David became king, he was hunted by Saul. He was a fugitive in caves. David was being hunted by God. Now David knows he's to rule over all of Israel and he sees responsibility over God's people. He knows that God's kingdom needs to be furthered. He wants to make sure his kingdom is established is as close as possible to God's kingdom. He's just waiting around, as all of us are, for Christ to come back, for God to come back and establish his real kingdom. But until then, what kind of kingdom can establish over the people? And this certainly speaks to the authority that we have over, over, over anybody God might give to us, whether it be our children. How do you, you, you discipline your children? How do you show mercy for them and grace to them? What about those in our workplace? What about those in, in our church? We gotta make sure that we have a proper leadership. And David clarified in Psalm 101 here what true leadership looks like. So we have uh, four commitments. I'm gonna have four commitments I'm gonna share with you today that David made to God and I adapted the study from James Harmling's study of Psalm 101, a book called A Crown of a Commitment. There's four commitments or four vows that, that David made to to, 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 to God in the Psalm, Psalm 101. And the first command he made to God was, number one, he committed that he would have, he would lead with the balance of mercy and justice. Lead with the balance of mercy and justice, which is always tricky. These are two amazing attributes of God, mercy and justice that, that, God, that God has. They don't contradict each other. They are 100% a part of who God is. God is, is a just God, a righteous God, a, a holy God, a pure God. He can behold no sin. 
but he's also a God who is merciful. Not one that any should perish, but that all should come to our Lord. There's a time in which we are to show discipline, and the time in which we are to show grace and mercy in all parts of our lives. But when it comes to, to man's salvation, we must see that man is deserving of, of damnation because of his willful rejection of Jesus Christ. Man willfully rejects Jesus Christ. The unbeliever wants nothing to do with our Savior, Jesus Christ. The unbeliever willfully disobeys Jesus Christ. Although God is 100% just, 100% righteous, He has to give man what he deserves because the wages of sin is, is certainly is, is death. So God we know ha, ha, as a God of wrath because He's a holy, just God. And He has anger toward mankind because of His willful rejection of Jesus Christ. And there might be some out there that might say, well, I haven't willfully rejected Jesus Christ. Some unbelievers might, might say, I've heard people say that before. They might say, I think Jesus Christ is a good man and he's a good person. They might say, I, I haven't treated Jesus Christ bad. I don't even think he's, he's a bad person. I think he's a good person. He was a good man. Why should I receive God's justice and damnation is a point they're trying to make to me. What they don't see, and what we need to help them to see, is how they have truly treated Jesus Christ. They don't see that they have willfully rejected Jesus Christ. And our responsibility to further God's kingdom is to help them to have that mind shift, to help them to see that, they, that Jesus is a good person, that they're a good person because they haven't rejected Jesus Christ, and they think they don't deserve punishment. We have to help make them see that, that mind shift. How have you really treated Jesus Christ? How has every unbeliever truly treated Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior? The only means of salvation. And so sometimes I'll ask them these questions, and you can ask similar questions if you want to as you talk to an unbeliever. Ask them the question, how have you, how have you treated Jesus Christ? And I use it in comparison to, to your dog, to your dog. One would think that you have certainly treated Jesus Christ better than, than your dog, but ask them the question, well, when it comes down to your relationship with Jesus Christ in comparison to the relationship with your dog, have you uh, spent any time with Jesus today? Have you spoken to Jesus today? Have you read about him today? Have you gone to his church? Have you spent time in prayer with him at all? Have you given any time at all, at all a thought today about Jesus Christ compared to your dog, which I trust you petted today, you give him food today, you talk to, you spent time with your dog. The truth is you want to share with an unbeliever You've obviously spent more time with your dog than you have Jesus Christ. You've treated Jesus Christ like he's nothing, like he's worthless, not, as if he's not even worth to be thought about. And you have treated Jesus Christ worse than a dog. That is why God has damnation for mankind, because he has willfully rejected Jesus Christ and treated him as if he was nothing, as if the God of the universe was nothing, as if the one way and one means of salvation was not important. And the unbeliever would rather spend time with things which they can see, such as, as their dog. Man truly deserves to go to hell because he has a willful hatred and a contempt for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To treat the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Lords like he's nothing angers God. God has wrath and anger towards unbeliever for the treatment of how he has treated his son. God has deserving wrath and anger. But this verse, King David says, you know what? I will sing of your steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. 
David praised God for who he was. And clearly you can see that God is a God who is just, but he's also a God of mercy. God's a God of mercy. He wants to show mercy toward his, toward his people. And while man deserves damnation certainly for his willful rejection of his son, God's a God who is mercifully will forgive them, who will who, who, who forgive people of their sins if they might repent and believe upon Christ as their Savior. God has provided the way of salvation. God doesn't want anybody should perish, but it all should come to repent and accept Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation, the Son of God. That's why we cling to Jesus Christ. He is the only way we can find mercy. And David praises God because he is a God of, who is loving, kind, but he's also just. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. When David started to lead in his kingdom, he vowed to commit to do to do justice and to also love kindness. That was commitment, to, to lead with a balance of mercy, but also to have justice. And David sang of God's justice and mercy. He knew that God was merciful to him all throughout his entire life. And he wanted to establish a kingdom that was also equally merciful to other people and to his subject and to those people that served around him. And we as leaders in our homes, in our church, we need to keep that balance in mind between mercy and justice. We can't act too harsh upon others when they do something wrong, but we know by God's grace, we are who we are today. There was a time in which we need to show grace and mercy to other people. We need to do that. We need to be quick to forgive, quick to show mercy and grace to other people. It's also a time in which we as parents need to show discipline to our children also. And we need to know when to show that justice also. You can't be too lenient and allow sin and wickedness to, to, the, to exist within your, your home, but you got to make sure that everybody sees God's grace and mercy and kindness and love toward all people. Charles Spurgeon talked about this balance between um, loving kindness and justice. He said, We ought as much to bless the Lord for the judgment with which He chastens our sin as for the mercy with which He forgives it. There is much love in the blows of His hand as in the kisses of his mouth. Upon a retrospect of their lives, instructed saints scarcely know which, it, which to be more grateful for, the comforts which have cheered them or the afflictions which have purged them. We need to have that, make sure we have that proper balance as we lead others. And mercy calls for compassion while justice does call for the consequence. David praised God because he is a God of mercy and justice. And he vowed to establish his kingdom to honor God by knowing that when he was king, he would show mercy and he would know when to show justice. Wisdom is knowing when to use both. So that was his first commitment, to lead with the balance of mercy and justice. David's second commitment was to practice high standards of integrity. David's second commitment to God in Psalm 101 was to practice high standards of integrity. In verses 2 and 3, he says, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worth of thing before my eyes. David says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. That was David's commitment, to heed and strongly consider and ponder the way that is blameless. 
David's son, King Solomon, learned this lesson well when he later when he wrote in Proverbs 20, verse 7, Righteous man, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. A son is blessed when his parents, when his mom, when his dad walk in integrity. And King Solomon saw that his father, King David, was a man of integrity. This psalm is a psalm about integrity. And David's commitment here was he was commitment to live a blameless life and to walk a Christian life that matched his walk and what he said. Integrity is a great word. Integrity. Integrity is a word you don't hear anymore. You never see anyone on TV or on movies or anywhere else saying, you know what, that guy has integrity. That's something of value. The world doesn't value the word integrity. It's a word that I think eventually will go in our dictionaries as Old English, a word that shall disappear from, from our vocabulary. Integrity, scripturally, is a, is a great word. It's a word that, that means to, to, to walk uprightly. Integrity, to walk uprightly, to have completeness throughout all parts of, of your life. Integrity means to have strong convictions and beliefs and to be willing to stand up for them, not to be wish-washy and to be changed by the, the things around us in, in our world. One has integrity when they have completeness. That means all parts of you are the same. All parts of your life are the same. Whether you're at work or home or church or in the community somewhere, you have integrity. You have the same principles, same beliefs, no matter where you're at. You have established your belief system based upon God's Word. You bought into what God's Word has said and what it tells us to do, and that becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of all of who you are. That's integrity. And then when you go ahead and come across some difficulty, in some difficulty of life, your integrity, your God's Word, and your belief system leads you and guides you. With that, without that, you will be persuaded by the whims of the things of, of this world. But being upright and being complete in all parts of a Christian walk is, is what integrity means. And we need to be men and women and teenagers and children of, of integrity. And, and our children will also be blessed because we have that integrity. They'll have integrity also. But if they see us wishy-washy and changing from one view to the other, they'll be the same way. Never let it be the case where you had one way of thinking one day and you change another way of thinking because of something you might have heard, unless alongside of God's Word. God's Word is our filter and our guide as to what is right and wrong. We establish our beliefs and principles first and foremost, and all things must come alongside of God's Word and His, 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 His beliefs, otherwise they are cast to the side. We will not hear them, we will not accept them, we will not let them be part of us or our family or our church. We must stand strong on, on God's Word. But it's good to ask the question, are your children blessed because you had integrity? That's a good question to ask yourself. We need to take a stand and walk up right in our homes, in our church, and our workplace. So when we do leave a legacy, when we have passed away, people will say, you know what? He had integrity. She had integrity. She knew. He knew what they stood for. They stood strong on God's word. You know, Christians are not weak people. We are not influenced by the events of the world around us. We know what is right, we know what is wrong before the events of the day begin. We're ready to, we're ready to start our day knowing what we believe. Before you turn our TV set, before you go to the internet, you already have integrity. You're not going to let the things of the world shape you or influence you. Know what is right already, 
gods would be 100% committed to God's word, not 80% committed to God's word, not 90% committed to God's word. You got to be 100% committed to God's word and following what he says, and then you have integrity and stand strong on those belief systems. Let me encourage you, as you go to difficult times, stand strong on what you believe. Don't be bombarded by the belief systems of other people. People out there are trying to get you to change the way you think, trying to get you to, to follow their cause, trying to get you to go alongside with what they believe. We already know what we believe as Christians. And some want to push social justice. Other people want to, to, tell, to tear down statutes under the name of racism. Other people want to, to, to push police reform. That's not our agenda. Our agenda stands on God's word. We want to make sure that the people around us are trying the same thing. Don't let people try to change you. Stand strong God's word. And David says it here, I will give heed to the blameless, I, I will give heed to the blameless way when you come to me. I will walk within my house in the, in the integrity of my heart. I will walk within my house in the integrity of, of my heart. David cries out to God here, when will you come to me? I'm trying to do this. When will you come to me, God? David wanted God in his life. He, he knew he needed God in, in his life. He knew, to, he, knew, he knew that to lead the nation of Israel, he needed God's help. And he asked God, when will you come to me? I know you'll be here for me. I know you, uh, you've, you've, you've been with me through entire life, Saul as king, protecting me then. And now you have made me king and removed King Saul from, from his reign. How will you help me to establish the kingdom? Help me, Lord. And we need to be like David. We need to, to ask God that same question, when will you come to me, God? We want, we want as Christians for God to be with us, to help us, to guide us, and, and, and to and to direct us. Some people want God to, to, to be with them temporarily and then to go away, to help them for a short time through a difficult time being, and then when they don't need God anymore, uh, you can go away now, let me take control over these things. No, no. David's commitment was, when will you come to me, God? Be with me, Lord. I want you to be with me, to guide me, to direct me to all parts of my life, whether it be as a leader or it be in my personal life. And David was a man who certainly, certainly fell short. But the true believer always wants God and the Holy Spirit to reside in them and to guide them and, and to direct him. David wanted to make sure his vow, number one, was to lead with the balance of mercy and justice. Number two, he had to practice high standards of integrity. And number three, David's third vow, third commitment to God in Psalm 101 here, is to be repulsed by evil be repulsed by evil. That's verses 3 and 4. David makes his vow to God. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall never face fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. David makes that vow to God. His vow is to lead the nation of Israel. He wants to glorify God and not do anything as king that would hurt his subjects. God's glory and helping his people was his vow, to help other people and to glorify God. Pretty simple, two simple principles to, 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 live, to live your life by. Glorify God and help others. That was David's commitment. It should be our commitment also. It's what Christ asked us to do in, his, in the two great commandments, right? Matthew 22, 37 and 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and seconds like it, you shall love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. That was David's commitment. It's what our Lord asked to do. We can break down the entire Christian walk into those two things. Love the Lord, glorify Him, love people, help people along the way. And David's vowed to glorify God by never taking advantage of any of the subjects he saw as his chosen people. He would not make money through them. He would not take advantage of them. He would be the example for the people to follow. And David's commandment was to, was to hate evil, to hate anything evil. He says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Wow. I will set no worthless thing, a firm vow and commitment to God. That should be our, our life verse, our life promise, that you will set nothing worthless before our eyes. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is almost gone, the day, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the arm of light. Let us behave properly as in a day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. God calls us to, 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 to examine our lives and to take extreme measures to make sure we live a lifestyle of integrity and blamelessness to remove anything in our lifestyle which might, might be sinful and wrong. We are to be extreme in removing sin from our life, holding on to our Lord, clinging on to Him, and asking for His help in, along the way. And while we know that David did not certainly always live up to his vow and his commitment to God, we know that his heart was at times sinful and he turned away from our Lord. We know ultimately his heart's desire was to please our Lord. Yes, he did some sinful things. But David's heart's desire was to please the Lord and to honor the Lord. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, God told King Saul, But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. That's David. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. David's desire is our desire. We know we fall, but we always should return to that position. David returned to the commitments of his heart, his vows, to honor the Lord, to please the Lord, to try to push forward God's kingdom. He returned to his vow and to try to put his actions into to place. He made his commitments. David's commitment was to, was to be repulsed by evil and to have no evil associated with his leadership or with his kingdom. Which brings us to David's fourth commitment. His fourth commitment was to confront and eliminate evil practices. That's verses 5 through 8. Confront them and eliminate evil practices. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haunty look and arrogant heart will I endure. My, heart, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. <clears throat> He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. In this final section, David vows not to slander others or to have an arrogant heart. Psalm 101.5, you can see, it says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. 
The slander is to speak evil of other people. David would not tolerate anybody to try to speak evil of other people. People that want to undermine the people and destroy the people. David wanted to make sure his new kingdom established would not have any part of that. And we in the church certainly also want to always encourage and to edify and to build up each other. We are not certainly to slander the people or to bring people down. We don't take pleasure in the tearing down of anybody. We encourage, we edify, we build up. We want to make sure people come close to the Lord. And we're constantly thinking, how can I make sure God's word can build this person up? What does that person need to hear from God's word so I might minister to them so they might be encouraged from God's word, not to tear people down? And David was clear here. He would confront and eliminate any evil practices which might take place within the kingdom, such as slander or to have an arrogant heart. Arrogant heart is those David, which literally translated means those with high eyes. It's a person who has high eyes is looking down upon another person as though they're higher than them, as though they're more important to them. Looking down on the person as though they, they take pleasure in looking down upon others as though they, they are less important. David was opposed to that. He would limit any kind of haunty eye behavior within his kingdom. And we're going to make sure we do the same thing within our homes, same thing within, within, our, within our church. David make, makes it very clear what the wicked man looks like compared to those that are, that are pleasing to the, to the Lord. In verse 7, he goes on to make this clear distinction here between the wicked man and, and the true believer. Verse 7, he says, He who practices deceit should not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood should not maintain his position before me. David was committed to get rid of those things, remove deceit, remove falsehoods from any, any, any part of his life, in his personal life or within his kingdom. Eliminate slander, haunty looks, arrogant heart. He would not tolerate that, nor would he tolerate deceit or, or falsehood. And those that do such things, you see in verse number 8, Every morning I would destroy all the wicked of the land. Extreme measures here. So as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. David was very serious about making sure God's kingdom was further upon this world. And he wouldn't have no part of wickedness or sinfulness in his life. He would not tolerate any kind of behavior like that whatsoever. And we need to have times in which our homes also, we're going to make sure that we eliminate any kind of sinfulness, any arrogant behavior should not be tolerated, any slander should not be tolerated in our homes, or deceit or falsehood. We have to have integrity to say, you know what? That is not allowed in our homes. That is not allowed at our church. We will not put up with that. David knew that he was leaning by examples, and he knew that other people would follow his, his lead. He, he, he would not have such sinfulness in his own life. He knew that he was first and foremost. He must search his own heart, examine his own life to make sure it wasn't in his, in his, own, in his own life, and then make sure that those he served with also, also minister in the same way. If someone in leadership was engaged in this behavior, that would affect upon him. He would not tolerate that. Upholding God's standard was his utmost priority. And as we serve together at CCC, we want to make sure we see way beyond ourselves. We must be committed to upholding the wholeness of our church. See beyond yourself as a mere Christian who goes to the church, sits in the pew, and leaves the church. See yourself as a larger body, the church, Christ's community church, God's church, which is committed as a whole to the wholeness of our church, committed to making sure that nothing, no one has haunty eyes, no one has an arrogant heart. 
And when that does help, come helping in our presence, come alongside someone, help them set them straight, help them to see to have a, hu a humble heart, a loving heart, is what God's asking us to do. But we, we must be committed to maintain the direction of our church, committed to stand stronger as a church on God's word, and even the congregation must make that same commitment. See yourself as part of the church, that God has put you in, into this church for a reason, a purpose. See yourself that you have a vow and a commitment, not just yourself personally, your personal life, but within your church. How can you further God's kingdom within Christ's community church? How can you serve there? How can you minister there? How can you best use your spiritual gifts to further God's kingdom there? These are the questions you should be, you should be asking yourself. In our homes, you got to have similar integrity to have that uprightness, that completeness within your heart. We must know what we believe and believe what we believe. Everyone in our family must believe the same thing. And we are all in the family we want to take a stand for what we do believe in. David started his own life. He made sure that those around him were also faithful. In Psalm 101, 6, you can see it says, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. That's God's promise. To be around people that are faithful, that those dwell around him will ones, be ones that walk in a blameless way. And David's commitment was to minister to each other. That is the, the one that is blameless, the one who will minister to me. David wanted to be ministered by the people, and he wanted to minister to other people. That's what church is all about, blessing each other, ministering each other, encouraging each other, furthering God's kingdom at the church. To, to, be a, to be a blessing to other people it is the goal. So we have to always ask ourselves, are we a blessing to other people in our church? Are you a blessing to those people around you? you got to make sure you have integrity to, to, to do so. Our commitment as Christians is to stand strong and to be faithful. And it starts with ourselves. We need to examine our lives, make sure that we are the ones that are on the Lord. David made, made mistakes here. He made many errors, but ultimately he was a man after God's own heart. And his desire was to please the Lord. We got to recommit ourselves to want to honor the Lord and to please the Lord, to do what's right in his eyes, to know when to show grace, when to show mercy, when to show justice, when to display justice to other people, and ask God for help in this sermon as to know when to do so. Making sure that our kingdom we set up within our homes and within our church, so to speak, is equal to God's kingdom, equal to God's word. We ask God for the help and the grace and mercy to do so. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord God, for the time you've given to us today, Father, to go into your word, Father. Our desire is David's desire, Lord. We desire, Lord, to want to, to further your kingdom by showing justice and mercy and grace to those people around us, Father. You truly are a great God. You've given us many blessings in our life, Father. You've given us a great church. You've given us great homes, Father. Help us, Lord, to see this year as a year in which we reassess and which we see get better perspective as to how we should live our lives, Lord. We ask for your help and your guidance along the way, Father, for you are truly are a great God. Our heart's desire is that you return soon, Lord. Come back soon, Lord, as our desire, Lord. But until then, Father, help us to honor you and to serve you in whether you've been good things in our way, Lord, or bad things in our way. For ultimately, all things work together for your good, Lord. We see that and we trust that to be true, Lord. We praise you and glorify you, Lord, for only you are sovereign. You rule and reign over this universe and you still are on your throne pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.